prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. The sin within me would lead me astray. And yet Jesus, my Savior, interposed his precious blood. He put himself in my place. That's the hope of the gospel for us today. And so we turn to Acts chapter 1 as we continue this Sunday morning spring sermon series, looking at the opening chapters of this work of the church, or the work of Jesus through his church. The world has been turned upside down. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the Savior and King. And so we come to the Word of God, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and his disciples are waiting. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and they called that field in their language akadelma, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Let me pray that God would apply his word. He would clarify for us his truth and transform us by the hearing of God's word. Let me pray. Father, we come today in need of your word in need of the clarity of the gospel. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. And so, Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us truth in your word, that you would give us comfort. And yet, Lord, for those that, that have a, a false sense of comfort, Lord, I pray that you would disturb them by showing each of us the reality of your judgment and the hope of forgiveness. Lord, let your word be heard with clarity, with spiritual understanding. Father in heaven, do the work of the gospel in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain names ruined by history. You don't meet many Adolfs today. And on this side of the Atlantic, 
the name Benedict still sounds like a traitorous man. But imagine being named Judas. Being named Judas in the, the, the early days of the church. How many times you'd have to clarify, no, 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 not that Judas. And for one of the eleven, that's his name. There are two of the twelve named Judas. You, you heard it as I, I, as I read it there in verse, verse 13. The last of the eleven named is Judas, son of James. But he's not Judas Iscariot. Actually, that's how he's introduced in John's gospel. When he's introduced as Judas, it literally says Judas, not Iscariot. To make clear, he's not the one who betrayed Jesus. And yet here, the, the disciples, who are, who are named, the disciples are gathered together waiting. And, and they, they take this time to replace Judas the betrayer. But, but why? What's, what's happening here? Now, Judas, of course, was a common name in the first century, like Joseph or James. You, you see there are multiple of the early followers of Jesus named James as well. But, but most of these apostles, they aren't heard from again. This is the only time in the book of Acts that you even hear their names. Yes, James, the brother of John, will be heard from again, but in a tragic way. We will really follow the story of just a few of them, Peter and John. And then later in the Gospels, we'll, later in this story, uh, Paul, uh, one who, who becomes an, uh, an apostle in a different way, a messenger in a different way, but not, not here with these 11. But, but why do they need to replace Judas? Why does the apostolic ministry matter? And so, so let's wrestle a little bit with that question and, and what it means for us today. I mean, f the first thing, though, that we need to see with clarity is the judgment against Judas, the betrayer. We, we see in verse 18, when, when the description is given to us by Luke, that Judas, the betrayer, the one who had led the, the, the arresting party to meet Jesus in the garden, that Judas got, verse 18, he, with the reward he got for his wickedness, he bought a field. But it was in that field that his life ended, that his body burst open, his intestines spilled out. It's graphic, terrible language. Right here at the start of the church's ministry. And so the field even gets the name the field of blood. At the end of the chapter, we, we read the warning in verse 25 that Judas has left the apostolic ministry to go where he belongs. Now that's a powerful but somewhat polite way to say where Judas is. He's receiving the judgment for those who disobey God, for those who, who orient their lives against God, for those who have sinned against God. God. And Peter introduces him as one who is un, unrighteous. It, it's not said explicitly in verse 20, but, but, the, but in Psalm 69, it's a psalm saying that those who are unrighteous, those who are unworthy, those who have rebelled against God will get the punishment that they deserve. And so Peter, knowing the Old Testament scriptures, say, may Judas's place be deserted. May no one dwell with him. Because Judas has turned against God. He betrayed Jesus, the perfect and holy Son of God. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, maybe we're okay with Judas getting the punishment he deserves. Maybe, maybe you're, you're okay with somebody like an Adolf Hitler, 
or somebody, a, a terrorist, somebody who is the worst uh, person you can imagine, you're okay with them getting punished. But maybe you sort of have this starting point that, well, but aren't people basically good? Isn't there a spark of goodness within each of us? Aren't, aren't we really just, just need to be, be straightened out, sort of iron out the wrinkles and we'll be okay? See, but right here at the beginning of the book of Acts, we're reminded that we are not good. Our hymn reminded us we are prone to wander. Our hearts are set against God to go our own way. And see, actually, we need God to be a God of judgment. We might think, I, I, just, I just want God to be, to be loving, to, to never punish anyone. But when someone you love is in great danger or has been harmed, then you want justice to be brought. So when we see sin as injustice, as unrighteousness, as evil, as wicked, then we realize it must be dealt with. God must respond, and we actually, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be willing to follow him if he weren't a God who would respond in judgment. Because then he would just prove to be a lazy, distant God who can do nothing to help us. And so there's a warning of judgment here in Acts chapter 1 for each one of us. We're told that, that with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought the field. Now for him it was, it was physical pieces of silver. But if you had to measure your life, what would the reward for your life be? If you got what you deserved— what would it be? See, the warning here for each of us is that we would go the same way that Judas has gone. We would go to the place where he belongs. We would find ourselves in judgment in hell apart from God's grace. And so let this be a warning for us. There's judgment against Judas, but then very quickly the, the passage focuses on the replacement of Judas. Peter, when he stood up, he said in verse 17 that Judas was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And of course, when you count the apostles' names, there are 11 men. They're even told, we're even reminded of that in verse 26, that, that Matthias is eventually added to the 11. When we had been first introduced to this list of men back in Luke chapter 6, because remember, Acts is the second volume. It's the continuing work of what Jesus has done the story that's laid out for us in the Gospel of Luke, when, when the apostles are named, we're told that, that Jesus called his disciples to him. A disciple is anyone who listens to a master, who understands his teachings and wants to follow him. And so, so everyone who follows Jesus is called a disciple. But we're told in Luke chapter 6 that, that Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And then their names are listed. It's the same list of names we have here with slight variation in order. It's, but it's the same list of names that we have here in Acts chapter 1. Now, 12, if you know something of the Old Testament, something of the, the Jewish faith, of the men who were followers of Jesus, of Jesus himself, then, then that number would, would immediately make you think of something. The 12 tribes of Israel. And so 12 is a symbolic number because Jesus chose these 12 to be apostles because they were going to be a new Israel a symbolic restoration of Jesus' kingdom. And, and actually, they have a specific role in, in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 19, a, a rich man comes to Jesus, and he says, well, what do I need to do to be saved? And the man, the Jesus, Jesus confronts the man, and the man says, no, no, I've been pretty good my whole life. 
And so Jesus then, then lays the burden heavy upon this man. He says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, tragically, that man, who we call the rich young ruler, that man went away sad because he is unwilling to give up the possessions of this world to follow after Jesus. But the apostles, in listening to that story in Matthew 19, they realize, wait, we have given up everything. Our livelihoods, our businesses, our families, we've given up everything to follow Jesus. What will our reward be? Peter, in in Matthew 19, verse 27, that we have left everything to follow you. What will there then be for us? And Jesus answered him. He said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. See, these 12 apostles, it's not a random number. They are the ones who will be those with Jesus at his glorious return, given a place of special prominence. And so they need 12 of them. And Judas, having betrayed Jesus, must be replaced so that there are 12 just as Jesus had predicted. You need the right number of apostles. And it's the apostasy of Judas, the fact that he turned away from following God to do his own thing. It's it's his apostasy, not his death, which requires his replacement. Because we know that later in this story of Acts, James, the brother of John, one of the twelve, the the third of the apostles mentioned by name in Luke's list. James will be killed, his head taken off by the sword of King Herod. And he is not replaced at that point. Because he goes into the kingdom of Jesus to await the return of Jesus, the restoration in its fullness And so it's not the death of Judas that requires his replacement. It's his betrayal of Jesus, his turning away from Jesus. And so we need a new apostle. Apostle, we could say with a capital A, to be the messenger, the one who is sent with the message of Jesus, with his authority. And so we find out in verses 21 and 22 of Acts chapter 1 what the requirements are to be an apostle. Jesus Uh, Peter stands and says, Therefore it's necessary, verse 21, to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. So it has to be a man who who was there for the ministry of Jesus. And we see the whole sequence, the, the three years of ministry, from the baptism that Jesus received as the inauguration of his ministry to his ascension into heaven. Which, remember, that's what we just read. That has just taken place. So it needs to be a disciple who has followed Jesus all of this time. But there's a, a, second, a, a second requirement there in verse 22. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The, the central role of an apostle is to be a witness, one who testifies to the truth of Jesus' resurrection. See, because that was the turning point in their lives as disciples. Yes, they had followed Jesus. They had learned from him. But at times they were looking for what could they get out of it. Even back in Matthew 19 when when Peter asked, well, what's in it for us? Or we saw even just last week in the the first half of chapter 1, they were still thinking of what the kingdom looks like right here on earth right now. And Jesus is describing, the the words here are describing to us the centrality of Jesus' resurrection. It's that which transforms the disciples' lives completely from those who are just followers of a good 
teacher, to those who are those that worship a risen Savior. See, and this is the central point of the Christian message. The fact that Jesus died in the place of sinners, but God raised him from the dead. It's why we order our weeks beginning with a Sunday, the first day of the week, because this is the day of the resurrection. The day which we gather in worship because Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's why we as Christians are are completely obsessed with with the fact that Jesus has been bodily raised from the dead. Because this is the central teaching of the Christian gospel. This is the story which will, which will capture the apostolic preaching and message in the coming chapters. That Jesus, the Son of God, was here on earth. He's been raised from the dead. And his resurrection proves that his death on the cross paid the full price for the sin of those who put their trust in him. It proves that he is the king with all authority who has the right to reign now as the ascended king in heaven. This is the summary of the Christian message that we hear the witness of Jesus's resurrection. And so in order to replace Judas, then they, they proposed two men. Joseph, who was given to us with, with three names here, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, which this is part of the reason it's hard to just even, what are the 12 apostles' names? Because many of the, many people in this time period went by different names. You went by the name you got at birth, that you were called at home, but then you had a, a Greek name that was given to you or that, that went along with it. And so, so, we have two, though, one with three names, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And so what, what do they do? They pray, knowing that God knows the hearts of every one of us. Again, a warning because we know what happened to Judas, but also comfort. That God knows what's happening in the deep recesses of your soul when you throw yourself upon him in trust and hope. And so God, who knows everyone's hearts, they pray, show us which of these two men you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. And so they cast lots. It's a, it's a game of chance, likely perhaps a, a bag or, or a vessel in which there were, there were two rocks or, or objects that had the names of these two men in, inscribed on them. And so they cast lots to see which one comes out. Whom has God chosen? It's something that happens in the Old Testament. It seems to us like a pretty strange way to go out choosing one of the 12 apostles. So, but they're putting their trust fully in God to reveal himself to them, trusting that God is the one who makes himself known. And so Matthias is the one chosen by lots, added to the 11. And kids, you know the math. It's pretty simple. 11 plus 1 gets us to 12. The apostles are now complete. We have the 12 who will be seated with Jesus at his return. The 12 who will be sent as witnesses to the resurrection Those who are sent on behalf of Jesus with his power and authority. And yet, even as we conclude the story of what happens in Acts chapter 1, we we might think, okay, but so what? Like, couldn't we just have gotten this pretty quickly? Oh yeah, by the way, Matthias took Judas's place. Why Why does this take so much time? Why so much emphasis on it? What in the world does this mean for us? Why would Luke make this the first thing that takes place after the ascension of Jesus. Well, first, we've already made this point that the resurrection of Jesus is central to the mission of the church. It's central to the identity of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior who has been raised from the dead. You have to be willing to announce this gospel hope. And it means whatever questions you might still have about 
Christianity, about the Bible, about living in this world, the most important question you need to answer today is this question about the resurrection. Is it true? Has Jesus Christ been raised from the dead? You might still have all kinds of questions about what it looks like to live as a disciple, what it looks like to obey Jesus, what it looks like to follow after him. You might have questions about how do I understand all that's going on, but the most important question every one of us needs to answer, has Jesus Christ been raised from the dead? And the apostolic witness, the testimony given to us in God's word, the authority that comes with the Spirit of God is Jesus Christ is the risen King. Now it also is a reminder to us, and we saw this last week in the very words of the angels who, stood, who, who announced to the disciples staring into heaven, that said, Jesus is coming again. Because remember, why do we need 12 apostles? Because Jesus is coming again. In Matthew, he told them it's so that they can be with him in the authority that he has as the judge of the entire universe. They to sit on 12 thrones at his side. And so the promise that's given to us again, reiterated to us in the replacement of Judas, is that Jesus Christ is coming again. But it's also important for us to think about why are the disciples gathered here? They are here because they are obeying the command of Jesus. We read last week in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Acts chapter 1 is about the apostles, the disciples, the 120 gathered. And what are they doing? They're waiting. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The one who will be poured out, and, and I'm going to give away where we're going, but you can see it just because you can see the headings in your own Bible in front of you. It's coming in chapter 2. He is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming as a gift to the church. But what are they doing in chapter 1? They're waiting. See, we don't, we don't generally like to wait. We don't like to wait for things to be shipped to our homes. We don't like to wait in lines. We certainly don't like to wait for governors to change restrictions so that we can get out of our homes. We don't like to wait for viruses to to do what they will do so that we can move on with our lives. We are people, as Christians, or, or maybe this is not just as Christians, maybe it's something even more sinister within us, we're people that just don't like to wait. We want to be people of action. I need to be doing something. And yet, what was the command of Jesus? Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. But Jesus, we have just seen you raised from the dead. You've given us the mission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Let's get going. We've got a long way to go. And what does Jesus say? Wait. We hate waiting. But maybe there are some lessons for us here and how we should spend our time while we are waiting. Because what do we see the apostles doing? They are responding in gospel obedience to Jesus. They're not saying, well, let's, you know, Jesus said to wait, but, but we know we've got a lot of work to do. Let's just get on with it. Let's go. No, they obey his commands. And so in your time of waiting, are you one who would be described as obedient, obeying the commands of Jesus? With a new series of temptations laid upon you, with, with your stress level raised, with your, with your nerves frayed, with your anger always near the boiling point, are you someone who is, in a time of waiting, able to obey? 
And even here, in what seems to us like a, a, a section of scripture we can easily skip over. I got it. The summary is, no more Judas. We've got Matthias. Let's move it along. But even here, there are words of instruction and comfort for us. Because what are the apostles doing? We're told back in verse 14 that they all joined together constantly in prayer. And we're reminded that, that they're there, not just these male disciples, not just the 11 that have been listed as apostles, but they're there with the women who have followed Jesus. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, although this is the last time we will hear her name in all of Scripture. It's the last time she appears on the historical scene. Even the brothers of Jesus have gathered. But what are they doing? They are together first in fellowship. They are joined together and maybe it seems like this is a, a hard time for us to apply this. This desire to be in fellowship. This command to join together. To follow the apostolic witness. What does it mean to be the church? It means to gather together. And it feels like we're, we're not able to do that right now. And we long to be together. But, but yet, we still have tools and resources that let us do it even while we wait. To pick up your phone and call a friend in need. To jump into a community group, email us. We'll get you connected to a community group. Give us a call at the church so that you can join, even on screen, in praying for another believer. Because we need the fellowship to be encouraged and strengthened, even as we wait. Here, at the beginning of this book, it's a small group, only 120. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and there are only a handful of people. People that we could easily fit inside the room in which I stand. But we need the fellowship of one another, the encouragement of one another. But what are they doing when they gather together in fellowship? Well, it's clear. They are constantly in prayer. They are people who, in their time of waiting, expose their dependence upon God by coming to him in a posture of prayer. See, our lack of prayer is a betrayal of our selfishness and our self-reliance. And so if you feel like, I just don't have the physical energy, I don't have the, the stamina to pray during this season, then you're just betraying the fact that you're trusting in yourself more than you're trusting in the Savior who gave himself for you. See, Jesus, even when he appointed these 12 apostles in the first place, it was after we were told in, in Luke, after a night of prayer. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. A life devoted to prayer. And so, maybe you need help. Jump in with a community group to pray. Call a friend and say, I, I need to learn this pattern of prayer in my life. Join us on Thursdays. We're going to gather by Zoom, by video conference at 1230 to pray together as a church for the mission of the church, for the work of the church, for our missionaries around the world. We'll, we'll send out the details or, or email us to make sure that you don't, you don't get missed to join us at 1230 on Thursdays as we gather in prayer. As we, as a church, even while distant from each other, continue to follow the example given to us here. But you see, also, what, what happens when these believers are together? They are in fellowship, they are praying, but then what happens? Peter stands, and he speaks not merely with his own authority, but what does he do? He immediately, in verse 20, quotes from the scriptures. He relies upon the authoritative word of God. Peter, the one who will become the spokesman for these apostles— the one who will, in these opening chapters of Acts, be the, the man given the, the prominent place to announce the good news of Jesus' resurrection. What does he do when he needs answers? 
he turns back to the Word of God. And so he finds comfort and hope in God's Word. See, in the time that you have, maybe it's only a little bit of extra time that you have because your commute has been removed. Are you using that time to fill yourself with the Word of God, or do you, do you just endlessly scroll through the same news stories again and again? We need the Word of God in our lives to bring us hope and comfort. Now you're thinking, wait, Kevin, you just, you, you just said, okay, here's what I need. I need the fellowship of the church, and I need prayer, and I need to read my Bible. But I, but I already knew that. I mean, like, that's like discipleship 101. Like, that's the first things that you learn. But yes, that's discipleship 101, but that's 201 and 301 and 401. That's graduate level discipleship. That's doctoral level discipleship is to, is to pursue God in the fellowship of the church through prayer and through the reading of God's word. You never outgrow that. You never graduate away from that. The apostles themselves are showing us the example of what it is to follow after God, to find restoration and hope and power. And yes, we are distant from one another, and so we don't have the, the means of grace through the sacraments of Jesus, our Savior, but we have his ordinary means of grace is the way the, the scholars of ages past would say it. And, and that almost sounds silly, ordinary means of grace. Ordinary in the sense that we have them right before us all the time, but, not, but extraordinary in the fact that they come with the power of God himself. He is the one to whom we go in prayer. He is the one who has given us his word. And so you have these extraordinary means of grace at your disposal, even as you wait. Now, but still, you might think, I just don't know that I can trust any of this. I don't know if any of this can be believed. Because what is the apostolic ministry? It is to primarily testify to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and explain to us what that means. That means for every one of us, we will stand condemned if we stand before God in our own strength. But if we come putting our trust in Jesus, then we can find the forgiveness of sins because Jesus the Savior has been raised from the dead. And yet we, we still think, yeah, but, but why would I listen to these men? None of them have advanced degrees. None of them have, have really made any mark on the world up to this point. Many of them are, are, are men that work with their hands. They're fishermen, illiterate. Aren't they Galileans after all? They're men we, we, we don't even trust. And yet you see here the apostolic witness, the apostolic foundation of the church. Paul, later in the book of Ephesians, will describe that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The, the apostles, these 12, are placed on the same level of the Old Testament men of God who spoke with the authority of God, who said, Thus saith the Lord. This is the authority with which the apostolic message comes to you today. And it comes from men who are willing to give everything for the sake of this truth. We'll see it in the, the coming chapters. Men who risk arrest, who risk their own lives. James, who will die before the book ends. Because... He has seen the risen Lord, and he will not be silenced. See, when we ask the question, how could we trust this testimony, really maybe we should ask a more fundamental question. How do you believe anything at all? Because much of what we believe and understand is taught to us, told to us, explained to us by someone we trust. And that's why when you call asking for advice, you're much more likely to take the advice of someone that you trust. 
Someone who has proved faithful in the past. Someone that you know has your best interests at heart. And remember what we have here in the book of Acts is not merely the witness of these apostles, but it's the very word of God himself, the words of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who commanded them to wait. Jesus is the one who will give the Spirit to them. Jesus is the one who sends them with his own authority, an authority gained at the cross and proven in the resurrection. And so how do we know we can trust these words? It's because of the one who speaks them to us. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who has our best interests at heart. He made us. He loves us. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He is the one who has proven to us the depth of his love. And so listen to this good news. Jesus, the Savior, died for you. He has been raised from the dead. And so go in apostolic hope with the message of the gospel.